All right. Machine Gun Kelly bringing us in on this wonderful, rainy in Michigan, at least, Halloween after, uh, for me at least, a pretty good last week. How are you doing today, Jared? I'm doing pretty good. I'll give a quick little rundown of my games last week. Uh, I missed the memo, and I thought last week was Halloween, and that's why I scared all of you with my picks. Uh, I guess mm. this week's actually Halloween. Mm. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> real, real quick bullet points. I had Aspirin over Maya. I ended up losing that one. Aspirin was looking a little bit better, but he got himself in a bad situation. Texas, just a bad pick over TCU at one and a half. Notre Dame, we don't even need to talk about that. Wisconsin, <laughs> I felt comfortable for the first half, and then OSU blew that game open. Uh, and then Chargers actually saved me after ruining me the week before with a uh, classic Miss Bears field goal. And I ended the week down, uh, what is it, about uh, 27 or so? Who would have thought the Chargers? Who would have thought the Chargers would be would be saving your day? And hey, I just I, I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you I had a weird feeling about that Michigan Notre Dame game. I don't know why it was. It should have been Notre Dame by a touchdown, given the circumstances. Um, Vegas yeah. knew something. Vegas knew Michigan was on the up and up. I don't know what it was, but uh, my last week was far, far more profitable um, than yours. I hope everybody locked in my bets because I was hot. Uh, I'll quickly run down. I had the Sabres, Sabres beating the Red Wings by a goal and a half at plus 230. I had the Eagles money line. They took it to the Bills. Um, the Raiders cover was never in doubt against the Houston Texans. They actually looked like they might win until uh, Deshaun pulled a Michael Jordan move and literally threw a touchdown after getting kicked in the eye. My most proud bet of last week was my parlay. I was so anxiously following after we recorded the podcast, Jared. Um, Lakers, Portland, and Dallas Mavericks all won their games, uh, and that paid me out at actually five times of my bet. And then the Green Bay. What's funny about that game, real quick, is I actually planned to tail that parlay just for fun. Completely forgot about it and said, ah, whatever. It's a three-game parlay. No way it hit. And then I was like, man, there was no five times. Yeah, five times. But then the Green Bay one, um, which was my lock of the week last week, the against the Kansas City Chiefs really actually was my most stressful bet. I for a second thought that Kansas city was going to win that game or uh, at least maybe cover four, have it be a field goal or so game, but green Bay pulled away in the end. And that was my lock and heaviest bet of the week. So very happy with how I cleaned up. I bet a total of 44 units. I pulled back a profit of 68.1. So after two weeks of our new format here, I'm sitting pretty at almost doubling my, uh, what I started at at 194. Uh, is where I'm starting. So, Jared, I think you got a, a little room to make up there. Any thoughts uh, as to how we're going to start? Uh, start making it up? Yeah. This week, actually, I it's not even a thought. It's actually a fact. I'm just putting it down as my uh, opinion. Uh, okay. So, this, is, this, is, this is your week? <laughs> this is the week. And you know why? So, people, you were telling, I'm the UFC guru. I let them down last week. A little everybody bit. knows. Everybody knows that things are going to happen in a fight like that. You, you just never know. So that's why I'm going back to my roots this week and not trying to look at it from what UFC wants to win and who they think is going to win. And that brings me to, first off, this UFC card, for those of you who don't know, is probably the best card they've had in two to three years. Uh, there's actually not even a single title fight on it, but every single 
person on the main card and even one fight on the undercard is all title contenders in the future, very evenly matched fighters, some really big heavy hitters, very even lines throughout the entire card, no major favorites really, no major underdogs at all, a lot of close tough fights. So um, uh, it'll bring me to the first fight that I want to talk about, which is actually going to be my lock, and it's a little bit of a unique pick, and uh, it's with the Nate Diaz and Jorge Ma basketball fight so i will quickly kind of go through what the pick is and kind of explain why i'm putting them together instead of in a separate pick it's two pieces one of them is that nate diaz bleeds before jorge masaball does or there's <laughs> and that's a prop bet that is on some some books maybe not all of them and it's paying at plus 140 right now and then the other leg of it is that nate diaz wins and he is the underdog at plus 130 to 140 depending on when you're getting a line and where it's moving the reason I have this set up like this, first we'll focus on the first part. Nate Diaz bleeds first. He always bleeds. I don't know if you watch his fights, if you pay attention. Every single fight, he bleeds. You look at his highlights against Conor McGregor. His fight he just got out of. He like, literally looks like a zombie when he finishes fighting. And I've even heard Joe Rogan talk about it before. He has an insane amount of scar tissue all over his forehead and opens up very, very easily. So he's not losing these fights. He just gets hit a couple times and starts bleeding a lot easier than your average person. You look at his opponent, Jorge Masvidal. He's a grinder too. He's definitely been cut up, but he doesn't bleed nearly as easy. I went back and actually reviewed his four last fights. One of them didn't like count for the four-second fight, but every other fight, he didn't bleed in any of them. Some of them went 15 minutes completely, and he was getting hit in them. Um, not that he can't bleed, but the guy that bleeds every single time you're getting is a plus 140 over him not bleeding or the other guy bleeding before him. The other reason is stylistically why it matches up is Nate Diaz is known to start out very slow. It's a five round fight. So I don't think he's going to be pouring on the pressure right off the beginning. He also is not the hardest hitter. He's more of like a, um, a volume striker. So he's not throwing the biggest shots. He's just hitting you over and over and over again. And it adds up. And that's why these guys get beat after three or four rounds, but he's not coming out swinging and cutting people immediately. So I think with his slow start, saving a little bit of energy and his fighting style and the way that the other guy likes that Jorge likes to come out is very strong and powerful. And that just combines very poorly for Nate to end up bleeding first. I know it sounds like a dumb bet, but that is a lock. Now, the other one is Nate Diaz. Kind of, as I mentioned right there, uh, almost a mental aspect to this one, which I think goes a lot farther than people think in a fighting game, is uh, you could see in the past Conor McGregor was winning his fights just by basically belittling people into the ground before the fights even happened. You could see mentally that he was going to win the fight. If you look at this fight right now, Jorge Mastaval has kind of been like a Nate Diaz, really doesn't care about the attention of media up until now. He's always in the media now. He's showing up wearing suits. He used to be Mr. Tough Guy, I don't care. And he's trying to almost be like a Conor McGregor, and he, he isn't quite as good. He's, he's being a showman now. That's not what he's used to. I think the fight's maybe getting to him. He's never had a major fight like this. Every fight he's been in has been against smaller guy he's a good fighter but he's never been center stage Nate Diaz on the other hand is an animal that dude literally does not care about anything anyone anytime he just he wants to go the pressure is not getting to him he's been in higher profile fights with Conor McGregor not even not saying Conor is better but he, that was the entire world was waiting for that fight to happen so he knows how to handle the center stage and he, nothing gets to this guy he literally last week USADA thought they found some sort of uh, trace element of a steroid, which turned out was a tainted supplement that the limits were so small. They found exactly what vitamin it came from. There's no uh, performance enhancing benefit from it. Instead of him letting that leak, that he just came out to the public and said, I'm not fighting. 
And he said, unless you clear my name, I'm not going. See you guys later. I don't care. A lot more colorful language than that. I mean, this dude knows how to handle the prime time. He's going to be ready to go. And getting him at the underdog, now, real quickly, kind of taking a lot of time on this, but the reason I'm putting them together almost as a head flash bonus is I'm expecting both of those to happen. If they both happen, you're getting, I'm putting 10 units down, you're getting 14 in return. Both of those are underdog hits, though. So if either one of them happens, you at least make a small amount of money. Both of them have to not happen for you to not make anything. And I was already planning on betting on Nate Diaz to win the fight. So instead of putting all 10 units on him and it's all or nothing, I'm going to put it on the two things I think are going to happen that are both underdogs that are going to be either all. If both happen, then, like I said, I make just as much. If one of them happens, I at least make something. And I really do think that the way the fight's going to play out is Nate's going to start slow. The only reason I can see Jorge bleeding before Nate is if Nate is just smashing him. And if he's smashing him, he's probably on the path to victory. And so that way you're at least going to cancel out your other bet. But if Nate bleeds first, I don't think that says anything about who's going to win that fight. So I think you, you're, you're looking at probably one of those, if not both of them hitting. And that is my combination lock of the week, you can call it. I mean, I can honestly say I never would have thought we'd be breaking down the scar tissue on a UFC player's face to see whether or not you're going to win money. But if it makes you win money, Hey, that's why we're here. So it doesn't matter. I, I got nothing to add to that at all, except for just a quote, just my, my good friend, White Goodman. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Yeah, Nobody. no, nobody's making me bleed my own blood. I, that's the only thing that I have, I have to say to that. But I'm going to stick to where I've been hot, and that's right on the ice, baby. I'm going to take it straight to Nashville, and I'm going to take Nashville and Vegas. This is my parlay here. Nashville at minus 145 and Vegas at minus 210. Um, I'm going to combine both of them to bet five units to win 747. Uh, I'll keep it pretty quick on the Nashville one because uh, I'm pretty confident on this one. First of all, they're averaging more than a goal and a half per game than the Calgary Flames, and they're also averaging less goals against per game. Look, the Calgary Flames right now are 6-6-2, six, six, and two. a decent record until you realize that they are literally have a negative goal differential right now. Um, the Predators are very hot. They have a plus 1.25 goal differential. They've won four straight games, whereas the Predators have lost two straight games, um, or excuse me, the Flames have lost two straight games. It's When you're looking at it, there's not many hockey games that you can look at and to me, confidently pick a winner in because a lot of times anything can happen, especially because it's an 82 game season. People are coming off back to backs and whatever you may see, but neither team is coming off a back to back here. The Predators are at home. They're the better team. This is a this is a solid start to a parlay, really, in my opinion, because I don't really see much gaps in the Predators gameplay. And I see the Flames as a weak 500 team at 6-6-2. Six, six, and two, I think they're one of the weaker um, teams. And then the Vegas Golden Knights are a very hot team as well. They're one of uh, – here's my only issue with taking the Vegas Knights. They are up and they're down. They win games and then they get blown out of games. So it's really – it's a hit or miss game. However – they're at home. It's a 10 o'clock game. The Montreal Canadiens have to travel to Vegas, which I don't know if you guys have ever been to Vegas. It's a pretty distracting city. Uh, I think that that bodes very well for being a home 
court advantage or home ice advantage. I don't think hockey has a ton of home field advantage, but I think Vegas has a great one because Vegas is a very distracting city. And when you get players coming from Montreal, Canada, going to a big city like Vegas, I think it can be a little distracting. Now, obviously, they're pros. They're they're going to handle their business. The Montreal Canadiens, I'm not going to say they're going to come out like dusters, but I like the Vegas Golden Knights as a heavy favorite in this one um, to just win the game. And also, like I said, with the Predators as well, combining those, I'm going to get a positive return. I'm not even, I'm basically betting on two heavy favorites. And yet I'm, you know, I'm I'm getting a, a positive return five for 747. So I like that bet. Uh, I don't think there's too many holes in either of the team's games, and I think that they're going to really pretty easily win both of them. Well, those are both very interesting. The first thing I'll start with is, are you sure you're not just showing your American pride here on our uh, Halloween holiday? I mean, there's two games tonight, USA versus Canada and both of them. You're just going USA coincidentally on both? Taking USA and both of them, USC over Canada. But, you know... A little Patriot take, though, in all seriousness. I like the Predators over the Flames. That is interesting. Like you said, you got a much better team at home playing a 500 team that's probably a lucky 500. Uh, I'm looking money line. That game alone looks 150, right? Minus 150. That's probably worth a play. I mean, there's probably a 75% chance they're winning that game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how many times are the Predators, or uh, for lack of, I shouldn't even say that, just a competitive Stanley Cup team because the Predators are going to be going to be at home against a you know a, a team that's probably going to miss the playoffs and only be minus 145 is what I think I have them at so I really like that one all right well that brings me to my next uh bet and I am sticking with the UFC one more time and honestly I didn't want to bore everybody but there's probably about six fights that I really like on this card but I'm going to stick to the two that I have most confidence in. and the next one is I guess confidence isn't on the right word. This is more of a value play. It's Darren Till over Kelvin Gastelum, and the odds are plus 210 right now, so you're getting a little bit over double what you bet. And it's not that I think Till is necessarily a better fighter than Gastelum. I think they're very evenly matched, and I'll quickly explain why. But anytime you're getting a toss-up fight or even something that's close to a toss-up fight, you got to go with the 210. I mean, the, the, the idea of this is it's a value bet. You're not going to win every single time. I might lose this one. But if I pick this 10 times or a similar fight to this at plus 210, you're probably going to hit on four or five. And if you hit on like two of them or three of them, you break even. That's where you make your money in the UFC, guys, is you take these underdogs that are very skewed in the negative direction. And now I'm going to tell you why they match up when I think the numbers are skewed in the wrong way. So both of these fighters, from like a fighting standpoint, are not necessarily elite yet at this point. They have been highly ranked at times. Calvin Gastelum, the guy who I think is uh, probably going to go down tonight, or not tonight, sorry, uh, this Saturday, he actually fought for a middleweight title with an interim title, and I think he, he was the benefit of a weak division at the time. He kind of parlayed a couple wins over, I wouldn't call them nobodies, but not very strong opponents. Somebody needed to fight for the interim title. He kind of got chosen to be it. Not a bad fighter by any means, but people are his recent fight with Israel Adesanya, who's the next superstar in the UFC, he's like a, a young Anderson Silva. He actually fought very, very closely against. And then Israel went on to smash the current champion after he beat Kelvin for the uh, interim title that he had. And I think people are propping him up a lot because they saw that he was able to stand and fight with one of the best fighters in the um, uh, UFC itself. 
Uh, I think people are giving him the benefit of the doubt right now. But he did lose the fight, you have to remember. Even if he was able to stand and trade with him, he got dropped a couple times. He, he, I think he did drop uh, Adesanya a few times as well. But he was, you, you could see that he he was a lot slower on the seat. He's a wrestler, and he doesn't want to wrestle. That's his issue. He wants to keep trying to stand with people. Aaron Till is a very good stand-up fighter. He's probably the best stand-up fighter Gaston has ever fought outside of Adesanya, who just beat him. So the really good striker he fought beat him. Now he's fighting another really good striker. Now, Darren Till himself doesn't have any super quality wins. Again, he's beaten some known known people, but uh, his two main opponents that he's fought recently, I think he's being debilitated because he lost to Tyrone Woodley two fights ago. And Tyrone Woodley was elite. Darren Till was fighting at a smaller weight, which I'll get into in one second. And then he also lost to Jorge Masvidal, who's fighting on this card, uh, on the same card as him. And when he lost that fight, if you actually watched it, it was a very close fight for the first round and a half. And then he just got caught by a punch and uh, Moswell capped on it and took him out with a TKO. You can't, I mean, people get caught once in a while. It just happens. Again, he's not an elite fighter, but neither of these guys are elite fighters. They're both probably right in the, what I would call like a middle of the middleweight rankings. So to get them at even odds is a, a steal for me. Real quickly, too, on Darren Till, he had been fighting his whole life at welterweight. And a lot of people have said that he struggled with the weight cut. He is too big for that division. So you think maybe that's an advantage, and it is an advantage if you can comfortably cut the weight. But he was coming in dehydrated; he was out of it. He was he was not at a he was overdoing himself to try to make the weight. Now he was able to bulk up a little bit, and he has to cut less weight. So he's gonna be a bigger, stronger, healthier version of himself. Maybe he struggles with the weight size. It's only a three round fight though, so if he can even make it through two of them strong and hanging on the third, I think he has a very good chance uh, to win this fight. And getting him at plus two ten. I just and and even one other point too. I always like to talk about the mental part of it. Kelvin Gastelum actually, uh, he he looks like a fake tough guy. Like he's trying to play off that he's this tough person. Darren Till actually was having trouble getting the U.S. because of his visa. So they were talking about somebody filling in. Gastelum, unlike almost any fighter you ever hear of, said, "I will not fight him. I, I need time to prepare." Any other fighter you ever hear of, you tell them a week before they got fight somebody else, they all say, "Yeah." He's scared to just go take a fight and fight somebody. He, I mean, you could maybe call it smart he's trying to game plan, but no fighter in the UFC is like that. He's supposedly ducked opponents before that he didn't want to fight uh, that were very strong, like Yoel Romero was one of them. That's just a beast. And that kind of attitude, I feel like, is not the kind of attitude you want in the UFC. Where Darren Till, on the other hand, people are saying this is a, a horrible fight for him to take because he's fighting a pretty well-established fighter at middleweight, and he's going to his first fight at middleweight. He said, I don't care. That's the guy I got to beat. That's who I need to fight. Why should I wait to fight him? I'm going to fight him now. That's the kind of mentality that these killers in the UFC have. Somebody will fight anybody, anytime. Let's go do it over a guy who's kind of scared and ducking opponents. Again, anything could happen, but this is one of those I think you're getting two to one odds on a 50-50 fight here. So I'm, again, five units for 10-50. Okay, I was going to say, what was your what was your bet? Yeah, I, I like the UFC underdog for really the reason that you said, especially when it's not a heavy favorite. Uh, anything can happen in a fight, you know, a lucky strike or two, or one guy has been working on a part of his game that the other guy has not been expecting. And they yep. come out and, you know, you look at the, like the McGregor Khabib fight. I'm, I'm not a huge UFC follower. So this is something that other UFC people like me can relate to. When you watch the Conor McGregor Khabib fight, Khabib's wrestling was so dominant. It didn't matter how good of a fighter McGregor was. Khabib just had an element that just completely dominated. I'm not saying that this is like that at all, 
But if you get in a situation where you're in a fight and you just don't match up perfectly, um, an underdog could easily win because it's just a one-on-one mano a mano. You can only rely on your own skills and rely on the other person's you know ability to react here. So I like the UFC underdog. As long as there isn't smart. an obvious mismatch, yeah, I, exactly. I love underdog from anywhere from like plus one forty to two hundred because that is what you're saying. It's a very close fight and anything can happen. My play. See, but I didn't want to spend every pick on it. Was there's five underdog fights, and I'm going to bet the same amount on every single one of them. Yeah, three of them love- hit, come out on top. Two of them hit, you're breaking even. One of them hits, you're not even down much. But go yeah, ahead. Yeah, it's, it's the no. I was going to say it's the value. Planning the strategy it, there. To yeah, exactly. But what I've got is maybe the most boring bet, maybe the most boring game, and it's beautiful is the Buffalo bills, Washington Redskins under at 36 and a half. I've got a five unit bet to return four sixty-five. this bet is beautiful to me, even though it's really just going to be an awful game to watch. I'm going to love watching it because I've got money on the under. Listen, when you take a look at these teams, let me take a step back and break down the Washington Redskins last five games. They've averaged seven points per game over the past five games, seven points per game over the past five games. And they got games in there where they played the Giants and Miami. So it's not like they played super hard teams. They have played some difficult teams, but seven points that enough alone is pretty much a reason to punch the under reason. Number two, this is the lowest under set by Vegas this entire season. That's saying something. That means they know it's going to be low, but they want to set it at a point where people are going to think, hey, the over makes sense in this point. That's why I love the under. Number final, number point number three here, and that's the Buffalo Bills have a truly legit defense. I know they got walked by the Eagles last week, but they have a good defense. I think they match up well with the Washington Redskins. I don't think... The Washington Redskins have anything that can overpower the Buffalo Bills. So I'm looking at them being held below 10 points. And at a 36 and a half point under, that means Buffalo has to be below 26 points um, in order to hit on the under. I look at this as like one of those 14 to 7 games, 14, 10, 17, 10, some very low scoring game. 36 and a half. I almost see that no way of this hitting. The only way this hits is if literally. Josh Allen blows up on the Washington Redskins and they go for, you know, 30 points and Washington hits on 10 or something. But unless this game gets way out of hand in favor of Buffalo, I think that the under is locked and I really don't see any way that the under is not going to hit because neither of these teams score the ball well. Buffalo's got a good defense, and believe it or not, the Washington Redskins don't have a terrible defense, only allowing 24 points per game. That's not good, but if Buffalo hits 24 points per game, that mean, or 24 points this game, that means Washington has to hit two touchdowns, basically, to cover, and I don't think that they're going to hit two touchdowns on this, uh, this Bills team. So lock in the under for the most boring bet of the week. So honestly, when I first saw that you were going to make this pick, I thought you were insane. And then I looked a little bit closer. 36 and a half, like you said, lowest number Vegas has set this year. Probably one of the lowest ones in recent history. That's a very low number. And then I was kind of thinking, like you're saying, is the Redskins, they don't score. The Bills are winning a lot of games, but the Bills don't really score either for a team that wins games. 
And I, I thought a little bit more about it. And I was actually predicting the score like you said. I, I was thinking somewhere around like a 17-7 to 7 Buffalo game. And I was like, that still is 12 points under what the line is at. And I was like, it, like you said, it feels like the classic trap game from Vegas where they know what this is going to be a nobody scores event and they're going to set a low line because they know that everybody's going to pile in and say, oh, it has to go 36, it could be 21-17. And everybody's going to get burned when this ends up being a 25-point game total. Yep. I think that's uh, – like I said, I don't want to watch it because it's going to be terrible. But, you know, if you got money on it. Then, yeah, at least check your phone. <laughs> um, what was your – you say what you're betting on it? Yeah, five on that to return 465. Uh, the reason why it's a little bit of a smaller pet is just for kind of what I said at the beginning. I do fear a little bit um, because Buffalo could run away with it just because the, the Redskins are really a bad team this year. Um, and they could put up, you know, close to 30 points if they just start running away with it. Washington gives up. So I don't have a ton of confidence in that. But barring that singular event of Buffalo blowing up, um, which I think there's a low chance of them doing. I, I, I like this, uh, the under to cash pretty easily. All right. Uh, oh, one other point too. I've seen rumors that uh, Dwayne Haskins may actually start this game. Yeah. Too. Cause case Keenum's questionable. So I think he's got potential down the road, but he does not look good right now. I nope. don't expect him to come lighted up on one of the elite defenses. He struggled against basically every team he's taken a snap against. Um, so on to, for me, we'll finally leave the UFC here and go over to the NFL and uh, join Adam. Uh, this one's probably one that I think some of the public might actually be on. It is an underdog, but it's probably the smallest underdog of the week would be the Lions, Detroit Lions over Oakland. Um and the line was around two. I look, when I look, uh, the Lions were a plus 115 to win. I think the Lions are clearly the better team here. And the Raiders are just getting favored for that kind of home field advantage. And that's why they're catching the two points. I think in Detroit, Detroit would probably be about a four or five point favorite here. I think that line of two is kind of a weird number where you get somebody saying, oh, a home Oakland team playing crappy Detroit because they're not closely paying attention. They remember Detroit historically. They see a minus two. They say, that's free money. I hit the minus three and I got it. And it's going to trap people when Detroit comes and wins this by seven or so. I think, I do think Detroit has had some struggles on the defensive side, um, especially with the rush, which is the one scary part of this with the Raiders with Josh Jacobs. But I think he'll be okay to run. I just don't think Derek Carr is going to be able to really get anything going in the passing game. So even if Jacobs has a really good game, I don't see him by himself carrying the Raiders to a 30-point game. And the Lions' offense lately has been – Matthew Stafford has been having – I like you know you like to say it about Carson Wentz, but I would say an almost under-the-radar MVP season. I yeah. think if he were on a better team, more established, known team, he probably would be in the running for MVP. Maybe not first, but he'd be in the conversation. I mean, he's playing lights out right now. I don't think Detroit's going to struggle at all to go score high 20s, and I would be shocked if the Raiders can score high 20s. I, I think Detroit could score 35 in this game, honestly. Um, uh, well, one other point I was going to make is Oakland, they, they don't have the worst record, but they beat the Broncos, who we don't really know what they are. They've had some good games, some bad games, but they're not, a, I wouldn't call them a good team. They're maybe not a horrible team. They got 
kind of smoked by the Chiefs. It was the healthy Chiefs, but the Lions should have beat the Chiefs. They got smoked by the Vikings. It was at least in Minnesota. The Lions got comfortably beat by the Vikings, but they kept it within, I think, 12 or so, where the Vikings beat the Raiders by 20. They did beat the Colts, which was a pretty impressive win. But the Colts have been a hit or miss for a good team. Jacoby Brissett is not Andrew Luck, even though he does look pretty good. They beat the Bears, who are a trash can. They got smashed by Green Bay, which Detroit almost beat and should have beat Green Bay. And then they just lost to Houston, who I think is good, but they haven't looked as good as we were expecting them to be. So um, Detroit has had a lot of good games against a lot of good teams. Now, you do always have to worry about the Detroit choke that comes up, but I think they are the better team here, and I'm going to pick the better team to win. What's the uh, I, I what's the bet on that? 10, 10 units for eleven fifty, I believe it was. Okay. Yeah, you'll never you'll never catch me. I, I like that as well. I think the Lions are an underrated team. They play teams tough. They've played every team tough this year that they've that they've played really. Even if they've if it's been in a losing effort, even the Vikings when they kind of got blown out, their offense showed up and forced the Vikings to score on every possession. Otherwise, they were going to lose the game. Obviously, the Lions' defense was so bad they couldn't keep up with it. But they made it. They made it tough on them. And I don't think the Raiders are anywhere near the Vikings. Just like what you said, um, I think the Raiders are a pretty decent football team, but I think the Lions are also a pretty decent football team. And I think the Lions are getting hit a little because they're going on the road, I think you said. And um, I agree with that completely because, uh, I mean, let's be real. Uh, Oakland has barely any home field advantage at all um, at the moment. So, yeah, I like that. I think that's I'm, – I'm really liking that. I think it's a smart bet. I've been successful so far betting on the Lions this season, um, so I think that that's a pretty pretty good road to, to channel down. I wouldn't I wouldn't take them at like a minus four, but I think they truly are the better team here. Yeah, and, and, that's and they're giving they're giving points to Oakland, so I'm, I'm yeah. taking the Lions to show that they're the better team. They yeah, don't have to win pretty; they just have to win the money. It's the them. it's the smart bet. It's the the one you make over time of the winning teams. You're going to win more than more than not. Now, I'm going to take us into the college football realm, and it's a beautiful day for anybody who's a college football fan because we may be getting NCAA back sooner than we anticipated because the NCAA just lifted the ban or whatever regulation about players and making money on their likeness. So that is amazing. And keeping that in mind, I love the Utah Utes going to Washington and beating the Huskies couple reasons. If you remember early on in the season, um, I was, I've been high on Utah, Jared. Uh, I've said that since the beginning of the year, they've got one of the best D lines in the country. I said that at the beginning of the year and they still do. Now they're averaging, giving up 56 rushing yards per game, 56 rushing yards per game. That is amazing. And believe it or not, Washington tends to lean on the run a little bit, averaging 172 rush yards per game. So it'll be strength against strength, but the Utah Utes are a legit national title contender. They have beat very good. They've beat some competition and they beat them handily. Cal, obviously not that good, but they smoked them. Arizona State is an underrated team. They smoked them. Oregon State, not good, but they have got a good offense. Smoked them. These are just their last few games. Washington State, puts up thousands of points, held them to 13 points that game. I really think Utah's one of the better teams in the nation, certainly a top 10 team, and they're only three and a half. Eh, the field goal sketches me out a little bit because they maybe win by a field goal, 
but I think they're better than Washington. Washington's only two and three um, in the conference. So I think Washington's a little overrated, honestly. And here's the best statistic. The Utah Utes are giving up 10 points per game. Washington's going to be able to do nothing on offense. I like Utah to win comfortably by a touchdown, maybe even more. Three and a half points is what I'm getting when I look on Bovada. Other places have had three. Um, so I'm just going to say at the three and a half, I'm betting 10 units on that. 9.52 is my return. Really, kind of like what you said, I'm picking the team that I think is better here. Um, Utah, I think, is definitely going to win this game. And three and a half, I think it would be fluky for them to not cover three and a half. It maybe is a Washington late touchdown or something, or Washington does something, you know, garbage time to pull, pull close. But I think Utah's defense has been overpowering this whole season. I think they're going to come into this game knowing that this is a big game and they have to win out basically to keep their national title aspirations alive. I like Utah here minus three and a half. I think that's a crisp college football bet here this weekend. Yeah, I, I go back and forth with this one. Um, I've been burned going into Utah before because I think a lot of people uh, like to kind of discount them because they're not really a, a popular name. They're just Utah. I mean, it's not your Oregon or your Michigan or your it's the Utes. Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, nobody even knows what they are or cares about them. Sorry if they're you the you're a fan. But uh, I just think people don't give them credit. And they see a game like this where, I, I don't know. I, I'm still going back and forth. I... I don't think Washington is the Washington they've been in the past few years. Uh, Easton is pretty good, though. They gave Oregon a solid run for their money. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay away from this one. At three, I would take Utah. At three and a half, I would have to go Washington. Uh, I'll give you the, the three on Utah. But if you're catching this line at three and a half, I'm either staying away or going Washington. I, I, don't, I don't know. I got a weird feeling. That's fine. Your weird feelings mean nothing to me. This is Halloween, and I'm going with the Utah Utes. Three and a half. All righty. Uh, <laughs> uh, so my next game is going to be a surprise game for you guys. A lot of people I don't think are going to be leaning this way, and I'm going Baltimore, Baltimore Ravens over the New England Patriots to give them that first loss. Uh, at plus mm. point. The reason why, and I'll be quick with this one because there's not a lot to be said after I explain this. The Patriots have beat up on the worst teams. In the, it's probably the easiest schedule I've ever seen in the history of the NFL. The Steelers. Actually, a decent third team maybe with Ben Roethlisberger then. The Dolphins, maybe the worst team ever. The Jets, playing like one of the worst teams ever. And that was without Darnold. The Bills, okay. And they barely beat the Bills, but they're not even great. We talked about this last week. Redskins, terrible. Giants, terrible. Jets, terrible. Browns. Not as good as we thought they'd be. One quick stat to hear. If you look at time of possession, that is why the Patriots have been doing so well. And they haven't even been scoring that much. Real quickly, I believe the Patriots are averaging, how many points a game are they averaging? Like high 20s or so, maybe right around 30. And the teams they have played, time of possession-wise, Washington is worst in the league. And this is not just against the Patriots. It's against everybody. Washington, worst in the league. Look at the next team they played. Um, they played Miami, second worst in the league. They played the Jets, 
They're 28th in the league. They played the Giants. They're 25th in the league. They played the Cleveland Browns. They're 24th in the league. They played Pittsburgh. They're 23rd in the league. The one team they play that's okay is the Bills, and I think they're around 13 in the league. So they're playing teams that don't hang out of the ball. They're giving the Patriots offense time to go score. Now you look at the Ravens, most time possession in the entire league ahead of New England. Not saying they're going to have more time in possession than New England, but this is the entirely different animal than New England has played this entire year. We're going to really see what this New England offense is made of. Instead of getting the ball for probably 13 possessions a game, they're only going to get maybe 11 against Baltimore. Sounds small, but two possessions are huge when you're only scoring a couple times. Um, also, this Patriots pass defense has been amazing. Their rush defense is not bad, but it's been their weak point. The Baltimore Ravens are all run. One more point. What is Bill Belichick the best at? Game planning to take the best player out of the game. You know who's very hard to take out of the game? The quarterback. You can scheme up receivers, be taken out. You can put a spy on a quarterback, but that's about all he can do. And Lamar Jackson is going to run past any linebacker that's spying him. Or if they're spying him tight, that's going to leave people that are open for him. I think the Patriots do their first test they've seen this entire year. I think they kind of get shocked and caught off guard. They're playing catch-up. They make it a close game, but I don't think they pull this one out. Okay. All right. Let's – I just want to go over one thing. You just used the words shocked and caught off guard to describe Bill Belichick's coached Patriots. Now, I, I like your analysis, but I'm siding with the Patriots 100% just because Lamar Jackson hasn't proved he can consistently throw the ball. He's been decent from time to time, pretty good sometimes, but not so good at other times. The Patriots are going to force them to throw the ball. They're not going to let Lamar Jackson run for 150 yards and beat up on him. You know, they're going to they're going to do something like take maybe hold him to 10 carries for 40 yards, 50 yards. They're going to make it so he can he can still run. I'm not going to say Lamar is going to be taken out of the game. He's too electric of a player, but no, absolutely not. The Patriots are going to win this game. I think Lamar Jackson is going to be the one that shows uh, that he's caught off guard or shook a little bit because he has not seen a defense like this New England Bill Belichick coach defense. I no way. All uh, I'm I'm siding with the Patriots. What was the line on this? You said uh, three and three and a half. I've seen it moving around three to four. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the Patriots. I think the Patriots maybe win this by a touchdown. Maybe the Baltimore gets it in close at the end, but. Wow. Touchdown. Yeah, touchdown. Touchdown. I, I, to be honest, maybe I didn't even see that one. I would have taken that. But, yeah, no wow. no, thank you. No thank you on we'll Mr. See, we'll Lamar. see what they uh, – they're basically playing the college schedule. They beat up on Massachusetts Technological Christian University to start the year out all year, and now they have a real team to play. Speaking of our – college schedule that we've got locked in i am going to hit on another parlay staying in college here for my second college game of the week i've got the northwestern at plus 335 and then i've also got oregon at minus 190 now i'll start in the oregon one the oregon should be a pretty secure bet, I think. Jared and I have talked about Oregon a little bit through the course of the season. We think they're a good team. We like that they are quarterbacked by Justin Herbert. When it comes down to it, we're taking the money line in this one, or I should say I'm taking the money line in this one. 
because Oregon's got a good defense. They play teams close, you know, yada, yada, yada. But in the end, I think Justin Herbert is a good quarterback and is going to figure out a way to get it done. They're playing USC, who's 5-3. and three. I think USC's always a little overrated, but they're still a good football team. So I'm not confident on any sort of spread here, but I am confident in Oregon figuring out a way to just be the better football team. Oregon, believe it or not, is still on that fringe of national title hopes. They do have a loss, but they only have one loss. If they can finish the season strong, I think that they're going to continue to, to push forward. Moving on to my Northwestern pick, because I don't need to spend too much time. Oregon's a favorite, plus 335. You're looking at me. You're saying, Adam, the Northwestern Wildcats are a one-in-six football team. Why would I bet on them to win straight up, not even to cover a spread? Here's why. I don't think Northwestern's this bad. I thought that they were legitimately going to compete for the West side of the Big Ten. Obviously, that's not going to happen. They look miserable, but they have played an insanely hard schedule. Listen to Northwestern's last five games. They lost to Iowa ranked team. They lost to OSU, one of the best teams in the country. They lost to Nebraska, who's, you know, an average team, but has their ups and downs. Everyone thought they could be a little bit of a sleeper this year. They lost to Wisconsin in a close game, I'll mind you, who's a very good team. And they lost to Michigan State. And that's before the wheels fell off Michigan State. And they still had some, you know, Big Ten title aspirations. They looked good. They Their defense was playing. They have had a very tough go at it, a very tough schedule. And the Indiana Hoosiers on the other side of the ball have had a pretty easy schedule. They played Nebraska. They beat Nebraska, um, the same team as Northwestern I said lost to. But then they beat Maryland, who was disappointing after the first couple games of the season. They beat Rutgers. Who cares? They lost to Michigan State, just like Northwestern did. And they beat UConn. Again, who cares? I think Indiana's a little overrated. I'm not trying to tell you that I love Northwestern. I'm not trying to tell you that they are for sure going to win this game. But at plus 335... And when you combine it with pretty much a lock, in my opinion, is the Oregon money line, a five unit bet, which is what I'm taking, returns 28.2. That's basically, I mean, you're looking at multiplying your money by more than five if Northwestern's able to pull out the upset. They're a one in six team. I'm not expecting Northwestern to finish the season with one or two wins. They're going to figure out a way to win three, four games in the season. I think that this is one of them. I'm rolling with Northwestern as a heavy underdog parlayed with Oregon to five unit bet to return 28.2. This is one of those ones that, you know, not a ton of confidence in, but I just absolutely love the return. Any thoughts on that one? That's that one's a little out there. What? Northwestern. Northwestern, one and six. Oh, and five. I won't waste our time here. Northwestern is not winning this game. Oregon, I like that pick. They're the better team, better quarterback. Quarterbacks are huge in college football. They find ways to win. Now, your Northwestern logic, I love it if you're talking about covering an 11-point spread. They've had a very tough schedule. Cover 11, not a big deal. They're on the road against Indiana. They got smoked by Michigan State at home. Northwestern did. Indiana played Michigan State tough in East Lansing. I get it. Game to game doesn't transfer, but no. This Northwestern team is trash. Uh, Indiana at least covers seven here. Hey, uh, don't. Ten. Hey, don't tail. Don't pick up the five times plus return. That's fine. That's fine. Just you. You live over there in your own 
your own bubble. I, I'm taking some risks. I'm putting it out there. Northwestern underdog, two and six, baby. Get your first Big Ten win, Wildcats. All right. I heard there's ten to one odds of flushing your money down the toilet. Um, <laughs> hey, my money's down the toilet then. So, <clears throat> on to my last pick of the week. This is an interesting one. It's a uh, five-team teaser. Uh, I don't know if, if you guys aren't familiar with teasers. Very quick, 30-second uh, rundown. You're basically getting a um, less return for a more probable game. It, it, think of it like parlaying to greatly skewed odds. So, it's usually a six-point spread or a six-point change. So, if you have a six point, two six-point favorites, you're basically parlaying them to win at the line of them being even. So it's like parlaying two minus 300 games, giving you about even odds. Um, So I have five games here, and I'm not going to go into detail on every one. I will be here for 30 minutes. So I'll give 15 seconds on each of them. But uh, the leg is Jaguars to stay within eight to Houston. The Bills to cover two and a half. Uh, The Lions to cover nine. Seattle to cover one. Or, or Lions stay within nine, Seattle stay within one, Green Bay in L.A., uh, Chargers over 40. Jaguars-Houston, real quickly, we'll go into that one. Um, I think Houston's a better team here, uh, they, but they haven't been blowing people out. This is a London game, I believe, too, so if squirrely things happen, maybe that'll be bad for me, but I think Houston's a better team, so squirrely probably favors the, uh, the dog here, especially at eight points. I, I'll give you Houston to win the game, but eight points, more than a touchdown Houston has to win by. They haven't been winning a lot of their games by more than a touchdown. Uh, I think they only have one win, I believe, by more than seven points. Uh, and, and, and with J.J. Watt being down now, that, that defense, I think, is going to get shredded by Gardner Minshew. Again, I, I don't think they're going to win this game, but there's no reason to believe Jaguars can't at least put up mid-20s on them. So unless you think Houston's going to go drop high 30s or low 40s in London on Jacksonville, Jacksonville's covering eight. Uh, the next leg of the spread was Bills minus two and a half. I won't really comment much on this. <clears throat> We've already talked about this game. Uh, so this is teased down from, I think, eight and a half or nine and a half is the line on this one. Bills, again, they're playing the Redskins at home. The Redskins may be playing Dwayne Haskins. They can't even score seven points on average defense, let alone elite defense. Bills are easily covering two and a half on this one. Um, the Lions at plus nine. We've already kind of gave our comments on that, so I won't spend any time on it. We we like them outright, let alone plus nine. That's giving you a three fuel goals. That's giving you a touchdown and an extra point or two that comes from somewhere. And nine is a lot for a team that's probably not even the better team to cover, even if they are home. Um, Seattle plus one. I'll go real quickly into this one because we haven't talked about Seattle. Um, Seattle is at home with Tampa Bay. Uh, Seattle has looked like a very good team to me. They, they are kind of blowing games late, which worries me a little bit. But uh, Jameis Winston just continues to be this turnover machine. He's been going up against a, a pretty strong defense in Seattle. Uh, I think Russell Wilson is going to shred the Buccaneers defense, especially at home uh, with that 12th man going on. I mean, the Tampa Bay is giving up 30 points a game. I think Seattle easily puts up 30 or more than that. You do have to worry about uh, – Tampa kind of creeping in late, but I have Seattle at plus one. So as long as the even if Seattle loses the game by one, it'll push. And when you have a push and a teaser, it just eliminates that and it gives you the next teaser of like a four-team teaser. You don't lose the better, throw it away. It takes out that fifth tease and it makes it a four-team teaser. Then if you have a push, which is kind of nice, you actually can just you remove your draw and the rest of it stays valid. Um, last one is Green Bay and LA Chargers over forty. 
This could be a trap game with this three-point line. It looks a little bit weird, but I expect them to go over 40. This is being teased down from 47. I mean, the Packers themselves could maybe even score 40. Uh, And as I've said before, the Chargers still haven't proved me right, even though they did get me some money last week. They are an offensive team. They just fired their offensive coordinator. Maybe they'll give them a spark. You're talking 40. You need both teams to score 20, or one team to score 23 and 17. I think these are all very likely outcomes. I tried to be a little bit safer last week. I'll just mention I tried an 18 teaser and almost hit it. This is a, uh, a three to three point five to one odd. So I'm ten units on this for thirty five returns. Adam, I don't know if you have any. Yeah, to get to get that teaser at that odds, I really like that actually. I mean, you're at you said three and a half times. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at everything in there. Like, I know you get the three and a half times because everything has to happen. But if you single out each event, it's like, man, it has to be crazy for that one not to happen. It has to be crazy for that one not to happen. So I think that's a that's the type of play that if you play it three, four, five times, you're going to win at an 80% clip rate, which or 70% clip rate, whatever it may be. Um, and that's going to be hopefully like printing money for you. But yep. I do it. I did your strategy. I did enjoy you freaking out about your missed teaser on it on last week when you missed on that. You know, nah, nine times your money away from an eighteen eighteen teaser with nine times return. Jacksonville couldn't keep it within, or the Jets couldn't keep it within thirteen and a half. That's funny. I actually lost that. Lost some on that uh, live betting as well. Uh, we talked about that. I thought they were locked. I got them live at like, I think I said 10 and a half or 11 and they just still fell apart, whatever. That was, that was pretty much my only loss of the week, but bringing into my last pick of the week, Jared, this is my heavyweight pick. Oh yeah. That's the heavyweight mm-hmm. bell because I am betting the most, the largest bet in at odds history here. I'm putting 20 units on the Indianapolis Colts to go to Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers by one and a half or more. Obviously, they're covering the spread at one and a half. I just want to get into the numbers of this one really in the spread. I think that the Colts are a better team. I think everybody out there thinks the Colts are a better team. They're five and two. I mean, Jacoby Brissett is playing really good, and he's not even nearly the best part of their team. They've got a good defense. They've got a very good offensive line, a good run game, a good secondary. They've, they are a very complete football team. And the Colts, and I've been on their bandwagon since the beginning of the season. Remember, Jared, you picked the Chargers, I think, at the first game of the season over the Colts or something, maybe the second game of the season. And I said, hold up. I think the Colts are being underrated because before the season, Colts were looked at as a Super Bowl team. They lost Andrew Luck, which is obviously big. But if Jacoby Brissett could even be a decent player, they would still be a playoff team. And Jacoby Brissett's proving to be better than decent. I think the Colts are an outstanding team. Pittsburgh, I think, is actually a little underrated. They are three and four. Mason Rudolph is playing okay. James Conner's having a pretty good season um, thus far. I think the Steelers are actually a little low-key underrated here, but to only give up one and a half, I was very surprised when I saw this. The Colts only have to basically win. Obviously, if they win by one, I lose the bet, but like you said, the statistics on winning by one point, how many games in the NFL are decided by one point? Very few. It's usually at least two, three, 
or more. And I think the Colts are the better team, the more complete team. I don't think that the Steelers are going to be able to handle the Colts' run game, um, their play-action passes that Jacoby Brissett's able to throw. The one thing I will say that is working in the Steelers' advantage is the Colts are a little banged up, missing maybe Ebron, Justin Houston, Malik Hooker, and T.Y. Hilton. All those players are questionable. But on the other side... Uh, Ramon Foster and James Conner are questionable, the star guard and the star running back for Pittsburgh. Really, this is more of a gut check. This is me looking at these numbers, minus one and a half, almost a pick em. Basically, it's a pick em. You might even be able to buy it down the half point or pick em if you want to. I'm looking at this and saying, I think the Colts are a good playoff team. I think the, the Steelers are not so good and the non-playoff team. I look for the Colts to roll. If it was two or if it was a three, three and a half point spread, I would stay away away from it. But I'm looking for the Colts to just basically win this game. Um, and I'm putting 20 units on it to pull back 19.05. <clears throat> um, like I said, that's my heavyweight bet. And that is the best or largest bet in, in our at odds history. So to wrap up my betting summary here for today, I don't do this, but somehow I ended up betting 45 units when last time I bet 44. That's, that must be my lucky number right around there. My possible winnings are 68.9 when last week they were 68.1. So something about the mid-40s pulling back, you know, high 60s in money. That's that's where the money is. So uh, I'm looking to continue my hot streak, like I said, 5-0 and last week. You got any, any wrap-ups on, <clears throat> on your bets here, Jared? Uh, just a quick summary. Well, we got Mr. Moneybags over here, all confident with his twenty unit bets. But mm. uh, um, I'm it's at my, forty total it, this week for seven. It's my heavy. It's my heavyweight bet. Don't say Mr. Moneybags. No. It's my heavyweight bet. Heavyweight. Well, once I hit on all five this week and I get eighty returned, I'll be right back up there. Eighty. Okay. <laughs> How much are you betting total units? Forty. Forty. All right. So you're. 40 for 80, so you're looking for a two-times return. All right, well, let's bring it into our last segment here in head-to-head. I must hide my face in shame. I'm 0-2 um, on this. You know, head-to-head's more for fun. Obviously, we're, we're playing for the money, which is where I'm up on Jared, but, you know, he'll take the head-to-head, sure, whatever. Uh, Jared, you want to kick us off on this one? We're doing the primetime game again. Uh, Dallas playing their in-division rival uh, for the New York Giants. You want to You want to take us on your side? Yeah, so I'm going to roll with the Giants here, mainly because I saw the line is at 7.5. Um, I think the Cowboys are a better team. Um, the, the Giants, though, I think are kind of sneaky good. They can score. Uh, they gave the Lions a decent run in Detroit. That was a 5- or 6-point game, I believe. So they covered 6 or 7 on the road with the Lions. So I would say they're probably a comparable team with the Cowboys. I don't see the Cowboys being any elite team. Laying 7.5 on the road with a what I would call average. I mean, they lost the Jets for crying out loud. Uh, I could even see the Giants win this game. Uh, thinking maybe a Cowboys late field goal or something, but seven and a half, there's no way the Cowboys are covering an entire touchdown. And then. So I go, I go back and forth on this one a little bit. Um, I do like the Cowboys for the main reason of like, they're the better team. Seven and a half is tough to cover. I'll give you that. It's a touchdown plus, but the Giants are two and six. They're not a good team. They did give the Lions a test last week. 
But the Lions' defense is atrocious. The Cowboys have a much better defense. They are missing maybe uh, some key a uh, key player in Leighton Van Der Esch in that. But look, the Giants, Daniel Jones is up and he's down. And he was up last week because he played an awful Lions secondary. I look for him to go back down this week, probably get picked off a couple times, maybe fumble. I think the Cowboys are hungry. I think that coming into the season, I always reflect back because I don't want to get too caught up in the moment. If I zoom out and look at the entire timeline of the season, I thought the Cowboys would be a playoff team. They're only sitting at four and three. I think they're one of the better teams in their division. I think that they're going to write it. I think they're going to get moving against the Giants. And let's be real. The Cowboys offense has been legit. They're averaging 450 yards of offense per game. 450 yards. And the uh, New York Giants have been bad defensively, allowing over 400 yards per game. I think Zeke gets rolling. Really, we have a true breakout game for him. I think the Cowboys are coming off a bye last week. Um, Let me check on that to make sure. Oh, no, they just didn't play for 11 days. So they're coming off of a long week, not a bye, but they they had a long week. So I really, really like where the Cowboys are at and progressing. And I think that the Giants actually might be on the decline a little bit here. So I think the Cowboys win this handily 10, 12 points. So that's going to get us right. That's going to get me to one and two on our head-to-head for sure because I need to at least get a tally on the board. Yeah. The Giants are bad at two and six, but the Northwestern's good at one and six, right? I did not say Northwestern <laughs> was good. Hey, to be honest, I was looking at taking the Giants straight up in this. They're plus 290. That's some good odds on that because, yeah. like you said, the Giants have played teams close. But uh, I, hit the, I, don't, I hit the Jets 270 over Dallas. Maybe yeah. it's the New Yorks over Dallas is the play? No, nah, I don't think so. I think the Jet, the Dallas just kind of overlooked the Jets. They're not going to overlook their, their division rivals. They're going to come ready. And Jason Garrett, I think at this point of the season, knows he's coaching for his job. He's worn out his welcome year in and year out. Everybody says he's an average coach. If he comes out and puts up an 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven season, he's going to be out the door. they got to put up a 10-11 win season, and it's not going to look good if he comes out and barely scrapes by against the pathetic Giants team or, or doesn't win at all. So I think that they're hopefully going to to take advantage of that. All right. So that's our... That brings uh, us to the end of this segment. That's our Halloween podcast. The Halloween special. I'm just jamming out to the Monster Mash. That's it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go trick-or-treating. I'm, uh, I'm dressing up as... Uh, a vampire. I bought some 99 cents fangs. And that's it. That's my costume. Two ninety nine uh, blood spatter too. I'm dressing up as a uh, ketchup bottle because we're calling this ketchup week at last week. So. Well, that monster mash will monster mash ourselves out. That's a that was a good segment. I'm looking to stay hot. Nine and one in my past ten. Let's go, Jared. Let's make yeah. some money this weekend. Coming back. Talk to you guys later.